Welcome to Color Me Dead. This is a true crime podcast, and we talk about murder and fuckery most foul in detail while using the darkest of humor. If you don't like words like fuck and cunt, then you probably shouldn't listen. But if you do, then join us while we fuck your feelings. Welcome to episode 80. I'm going to start off by giving our Patreon subscribers a huge shout out because I have been totally fucking missing that lately. Um, But it's not because I forgot about everybody. You guys are all awesome. And I want to give a big shout out to Sharon Hoffman and Samantha Vaughn who are our examinators and they have been really badass examinators. Um, Samantha sent me a book that I want. And you'll find out about that later. And Sharon Hoffman has been really kind with her donations with everything going on with Angel. She's amazing. If you want to support us as a podcast, you can go to ageofradio.org slash colormedead slash. And you can listen there. You can donate to our Patreon. You can shop our sponsors who are Loot Crate, Loot Wear, Onnit, and Blue Apron. We'll get a percentage of anything that you buy from there so it helps support us and you guys get cool shit god bless loot wear i love their fucking shirts anyway today i have a special guest who is dan you can say (laughs) you can say who you are (laughs) dan (laughs) moray we can also refer to you as dick mcplenty am i right Dick McPlenty, yep, from Nasty <laughs> Disaster. <laughs> so the song playing in the background just happens to be his band. So will you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your band and and things, things you want us to know? Okay, first of all, um, true honor being able to uh, guest host this show. I'm so um, excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy that... Um, there's a very positive response from everybody. Um, as soon as you announced that, I got several messages from people that were excited Yay. that I was going to be on the show, <laughs> uh, which definitely stroked my ego. Perfect. Um, well, <laughs> that's why I thought of you, because after we did episode 69 and you were on there and everybody was like, oh my God, his voice, his voice. And so I was like, I need guest guest hosts. And I'm like, Dan. <laughs> of course, they love his voice. Everybody's been asking for it since, so you, you ask and I receive. <laughs> no, you receive. I give. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know how this works. <laughs> you, you know where you know where our inboxes are. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Something's getting so, put in the inbox. So, uh, as you said, yeah, uh, my band persona from my band, uh, Nasty Disaster, is uh, Dick McPlenty. Um, super offensive. Just like the show, <laughs> um, I've I've also played in another couple local bands in uh, the New England area. One being the Shape. Um, we had a record out last year called "The World Away." It actually charted on Billboard. No shit. It did. Um, it actually premiered at number one for New England. Whoa. And we um and we stayed in there for about four or five weeks, which no is shit. which isn't too shabby. Yeah. Wow. But a little trade secret. I still had to go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I still... Which which sucks. Yeah, I feel you. I feel (laughs) you. And um, I actually fill in for another band out of Boston called Tester. 
if you want to go check them out, they're fucking amazing. They're so much fun. I love playing with those guys. Say Boston again. Uh, what's that? Say Boston. <laughs> Actually, if I if you don't mind, yes. I gotta tell a quick story about these guys because it's fucking hysterical. Okay. Uh, several years ago, uh, there was a contest to open up for a Kiss. Uh uh. Yeah. So um, we entered it, and the funny thing was, technically, we couldn't win because there was like. Five pages of rules, like you couldn't have any swearing in your songs, you couldn't oh. mention Satan, blah, blah, oh. blah, which is basically every one of our songs. Right. So I'm like, we can't win, but fuck it, who, let's enter it. We And all you had to do was stay in the top five. The top five bands, Kiss would pick one band to open up for them at uh, Mohegan Sun, which is the casino in Connecticut. So... We're riding, we were staying at number two. We weren't moving. We didn't go up, we didn't go down, which was great. So the last day, all of a sudden this band starts creeping up. What the fuck? Bam! Fantastic comes in at number one. And they end up winning. We're like, what the fuck? So they get to open for Kiss. We're like, well, we knew we weren't going to win anyway, but you're kind of a little like, what the fuck? Oh, it's rigged, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So a local promoter was like, Hey, I'm gonna put you guys on the bill with Tester, and you guys can duke it out. We're like, fuck yeah, let's let's duke it out. You Whoa. know, let's let's duke it out. We'll yes. see what happens. And they were on first. They were amazing. <laughs> oh my god, they were so good. We're like, holy shit. So now we got to bring our A game. So we're like, you know, giving it everything we got. And we get done, and we're both like, I love you guys. Like we've been best friends since. And that was Aww. probably seven years ago. And it was funny because, like, so, you know, probably about four or five years ago, they needed someone to fill in, and they called me up, dude. Can you, we need to do this festival up in Rhode Island. Can you fill in? Absolutely. So every wow. now and then, I'll hop on board with those guys and jam out with them. So that was pretty cool. That's so cool. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, should I mention that uh, you gave me the opportunity to pick? Um, yes. Our case for today. Yeah. And uh, I decided to choose a local, uh, unfortunately notorious crime that happened here in Connecticut. Right. And uh, um, the case is sad, but I am so glad that you picked it because the day that I asked you, I think, was the day that Angel went into rehab. And that was a, a, an emotional disaster. <laughs> Not a nasty disaster, an emotional disaster. And so when you were like, do you have anything in mind? I'm like, I do not. You're like, I got one. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then I read it. And I was like, God damn it, Dan. No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come on. It wouldn't be the show if you didn't get in. I mean, Fuck, like I, I said before, it's like everybody else goes over the cases and maybe gets a little into it. But they go, I don't want to give details. Like, you guys like fuck no we're giving details yeah i want as anything that i find out i want everybody else to know the only things i leave out are like little stupid shit that doesn't matter like you know but it never has to do with the actual crimes that i leave out yeah so i mean like i said you guys had uh when you guys did Gein, man it's like there were i thought i read a couple books on him and you guys still pulled out shit i'd never heard of Mm mm-hmm and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I read that book a couple of times, and I kind of want to read it again now that I'm in. Now that I'm not so overwhelmed with everything, because that was like my first one 
that I tried, you know, my first research one. And I want to go read the book again now. And that's the other thing I've got to say is like, you know, you, you, you know, we, 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 you know, talked about doing this one and, um, talked about how we would do it. And I had to do, you know, research on this and it was like, and write up, uh, you know, the outline and everything. It's like, I can really truly appreciate the work that you guys do Yeah. to bring the show to us <laughs> every week. I mean, it's yeah. not just like from the hip. This is like, no. This is like being in high school. <laughs> it really is. Like, it's a lot of homework. There's a lot of reading. Like, on the, um, oh, what, Fred West, that book was only oh. 365 pages. And from just what I wrote, because I write a lot of stuff because I forget, because taking in that much information, I can't just read it and then sling it out there. I need to write it down. So I write it all as I go. But in that series, I think I counted uh, somewhere between 80 and 90 pages that I wrote out of the 360-page book. <laughs> yeah, no, that was the other thing. about. I mean, that one was just puke-inducing. Oh, that's My God. awful, oh, man. That, and that was, what, five episodes, too? Uh-huh. Yeah, because I had listened to other podcasts do it and um, watched documentaries and I was like, all right, this can't be that bad. And then I started reading the book and I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, they left out so much that I just want to die right now. That one got in my head a lot. It messed with uh, me. I wouldn't have blamed you guys if you took a vacation after that one. Fuck. I was about my ready God. to. That's why it's been a little lighter since then, because that one really got <laughs> in my head. <laughs> I don't blame you. And here I am going to fuck you up again. Right? Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> well so you wrote the outline and you did research on your side and i added a little bit to it but what from what i got my side of the research out of was a book called murder in connecticut by michael benson yeah and it has more it's more uh what happened after than during like there wasn't a whole lot of like the like the like the aftermath of the trial. Uh-huh, yeah. It was more of that kind of stuff in it, but it still had good details in it about what actually happened. So. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, I know there was a lot of fallout from the trial, which obviously we'll get into later. Yeah. Um, be, you know, being, again, that we're in Connecticut. And you were saying also, too, that it went into the whole thing about the setup of the town Cheshire, Connecticut, in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You know, because, you know, quiet, sleepy, uh, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. It started off late in the afternoon of Sunday, July 22nd, 2007. 48-year-old Jennifer Hawk. Is it Pettit? Is that how you say it? Pettit, yeah. Okay. And her 11-year-old daughter, Michaela Pettit, went to a local grocery store in Cheshire, Connecticut. They picked up food for Jennifer's pre-birthday meal that Michaela had planned to prepare for her that night. During their trip to the grocery store, they attracted the attention of 26-year-old Joshua. How in the actual fuck do you say this name? Karma, Karma Vajeski. Okay, yes, that. <laughs> <laughs> Who followed them home suspecting they might be a, a rich family. Seeing their affluent neighborhood, Josh just Joshua decided... That just reminded me of friends. Sorry. Total squirrel hunt. When... Um, Rachel's, do you watch Friends? I have never actually seen an oh, episode fuck. of Friends. Fuck. 
Rachel's <laughs> dating this guy, and well, no, she's not dating him. She wants to date this guy, and his name is J- Joshua. But she refuses to call him Josh, and so she's like, "That Joshua likes that. That's what Joshua says, Joshua." <laughs> yeah, sorry, that's just reminded that's okay. me of that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and this is how it goes. I'm sorry, my brain can't focus. I knew we were going to go off a few squirrel hunts. Okay. Yes. Joshua decided that he had made the right call and contacted his accomplice, 44-year-old Stephen Hayes. For seven hours, the family members were beaten, raped, and three would be dead at the end of this nightmare. So we're going to go and tell you a little bit about the Petit family before we get into more of the details of the fuckery most fell that happened this evening. Uh, Definitely fuckery most fall. Yes. God, this is like the definition of it. Fuck. I don't like it. The Petit family. Jennifer Hawk Petit was born September 26, 1958. She was a nurse and a co-director of the health center at Cheshire Academy, a private boarding school. She met her husband, William Petit, who was a doctor in 1985 on a pediatric rotation at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, when he was a third-year medical student at the University of Pittsburgh, and she was a new nurse. Funny story. That's how my mom and stepdad met, too, in, in a way, in a roundabout. He was a doctor doing whatever they do. Well, he was working on being a doctor. What is... Oh, what the fuck is the name? Residency. Residency, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. He was doing his residency, and he came out here to work at my who is now my great uncle's office that my mom was working at as a nurse and they met and they got married and boom. Boom. There happens. you are. There you are. And what, you have six siblings? Uh, I have seven, but seven siblings. Oh there's God. only two from them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's a lot. Of, it's Utah, man. There's eight of us. It, yeah. Yeah, that's what scares me about coming out there. <laughs> Be prepared to have more babies. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> um, Jennifer was a beautiful woman that wasn't very into looks and vanity. She was a wonderful caretaker and spent her time taking care of others and was ever referred to. Well, not ever. She was even referred to as a surrogate mom to the community. She'd been battling multiple sclerosis for the past eight years, but you'd never be able to tell that she had anything. <clears throat> Their oldest daughter, Haley, was born October 15th, 1989, and had just graduated from Miss Miss Porter's school. What is that? Is it just a private probably, school? Probably like a private school, I'm guessing. Okay, that's um, what I was thinking too, but I didn't know if it was something being, super special. Being that Connecticut, there's a ton of private schools. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, it's funny because I've had people from the group reach out to me and be like, oh, what's Connecticut like? And they think it's all, you know, foo-foo, she-she. And I'm like, yeah, not really. That's close to New York. But there are pockets around Cheshire being one of them that's known for having a bit of cash. Ah, I see. So, yeah, you know, if you have money, your kid goes to a private high school. Okay. So that's what that what that is. Okay. Well, when and then, she and then going to Dartmouth, yeah, that's where she was scheduled to go, yeah, you know, they, you know, they had some cash, yeah. 
And the dad went to Dartmouth, too. I don't know if that's in here later, but just spoiler, that's where he went, too. (laughs) She had been, Haley had been an active fundraiser for multiple sclerosis research following her mother's diagnosis with that disease. And wasn't their whole family, like, totally into all of this um, community service and uh, foundations here and foundations there, and they were really yeah, they, like in they're very involved people. in the community. Um, that like you were saying, uh, she set up that thing for her mother to uh, raise money for multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. which is um, you know, obviously we're going to get to at the end um, how they still have the yeah foundation, which I was trying to figure out. Like it, it made it sound like they did it after, but the way this way it really is is she had started this before uh-huh. you know, yeah that's what i was thinking too. happened mm-hmm. yeah um Haley was the jock of the family she rode on the crew team and she was a basketball star she however was hospitalized not too long before graduation with a collapsed lung which how fucking scary is that that sounds horrible that but, is horrible yeah she was otherwise healthy and she recovered from all of that all of that shit. Um, she was very driven and wanted to be a doctor just like her father. She loved the TV show Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, and it was her idea to name the younger daughter Michaela from that show. I didn't even know that, that was her name. That's what her name was. That's how much I know about that. Again, another show I've never seen. Me either. I just... <laughs> okay, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, all I can think of is her in... Um, wedding crashers when she's showing her tits to everybody. They're very hey. nice. Very nice boobs. You I will, see I will have tits? to check those out. Yeah, she's like, you want to see my tits? <laughs> and he's like, uh... Yes. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> anyway. There's rarely a time a guy's going to say no. I know. Who says no? So, so, the younger daughter was named... Michaela. She was 11 years old at the time. She loved cooking and was always watching the Food Network. If she was watching TV, I don't think she watched it a whole lot, but if she was, she was watching the Food Network. Uh, She had made a beautiful dinner for the family that night. This is the part that I don't like. It makes me, well, I like, but I don't like, but it makes me really sad. After their dinner that night that Michaela made, the girls sat together and read Harry Potter. Haley was reading the last book in the series, and Michaela was reading the first. And to be honest with you, I had no idea about that because, like, I know how everybody, you know, you guys and everybody in the group is really into Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. This had nothing to do with that. Just, oh. just throwing that out there. Like, <laughs> I had no idea. So, Angel and I have talked about how Harry Potter was really influential in um, a lot of hard times. So, when I went out to see her out in rehab i took her the fifth book which is order of the phoenix yes because i told her it's for twofold because well three three because um because of the symbolism that it's had in our past but because a order of the phoenix reminded me of the order of the chalk lines and there's the part in the Order of the Phoenix where they have Dumbledore's army, which is why I made the Angel's Army t-shirts. <laughs> and I almost cried while I was telling her that, too. So that's a big deal right there, okay? Yeesh. Harry Potter is important. 
<laughs> I know. Well, I mean, you've got it. You guys got literally inked into your skin. Yes, literally. We have that's, our. That's about as dedicated as you get. Yeah, we have our BFF Harry Potter tattoos. Anyway, the crime. We're going to move on to the crime now. Yes. Sunday evening, July 22nd, 2007, Jennifer and Michaela were at the store getting the food, like we had talked about at the beginning, um, to make dinner for the family. When they were leaving, there were the two men that spotted them and ended up following them to their home. They didn't stop, though, at that time. They didn't decide to do their thing then. They just continued past the house. They made a note of what the address was, and they made a plan. And... The, the family was really a perfect target for them because they wanted money. They wanted they wanted all the good shit. Well, the, the way I read it was was that Joshua was the one that spotted them at the local supermarket, mm-hmm. followed them to their house, saw that was an affluent house. So he had guessed correctly, contacted oh, yeah. Hayes. Yep. And that, that's when they met up. Yeah. And so, I mean, so it, it's kind of... True. I mean, I know it's from different sources, so it's that whole right. I know you've had that overlap before, where it's yeah. like you have the two different sources. But um, there's another thing too: is if uh, not to get ahead of ourselves, but if you go online, they have uh, Josh's whole confession on YouTube. No shit. Yeah, I'm gonna like, have to put a clip of that in here. Yeah, it's like an hour and a half, two hours. Holy shit. Uh, Vomit-inducing shit. Oh, God, no. That's a huge no for me. Yeah. Even though I'll probably go do it anyway, because (laughs) that's how I am. (laughs) You. Yeah. Well, after that, they went to Walmart, and that's where they bought an air rifle and rope. Why an air rifle? Like, why? I think part of it was to use as a... a scope to, to view in okay. something I believe I read. Okay. Um, that's what, what I, out in the book, I'm going to stutter all over this, but in the book, Josh, who was the younger one, um, called his girlfriend and he told her he was going to bring her back home because her dad had taken her to Arkansas. He's like, all I need is money. And he kept talking about 15 grand. He needed $15,000 to get her back. And that's what he was going to do. But she says that during this conversation, he was really jumpy and like he had somewhere he had to be. It was like super fucking weird through the whole conversation. And about midnight, Josh left his house and um, his mom was asking him, why? Where are you going? Why are you going so late? Why do you have dark clothes on? Because, I mean, he's 26-ish at the time, 27 I know because yep. he's my age. <laughs> we were born the same year. And he's still living with his mom and he's leaving at 1130 at night. And his mom's like, all right, where the fuck are you going? Why are you wearing dark clothes? And he said he was going to go meet a guy named Steve and talk about a job. Yeah, because that seems totally legit at midnight. Yeah. All yeah, right. No, no, nothing sketchy about that. No, nothing at all. Do you want to tell us about Josh before we could go move along? Yeah, give a little brief history of this comeback. Yeah. So, uh, Josh McCarmozeski, or whatever the fuck his name is. <laughs> we'll just call <laughs> him like, Joshua K. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they say his name like a million times. Um, I've God knows I've heard it a million times. But, right. Um, he was born August 1980. Um, he was actually um, adopted 
by a very uh, religious couple, which is always a recipe for disaster. Sorry for anybody <laughs> religious. But, uh, by the age of four, he had a two-year-old sister. Then his parents fostered a disturbed 15-year-old lad. Joshua later claimed <laughs> the boy turned, uh, turned him with cigarettes, raped him, and forced him into other sexual acts. At nine, Joshua suffered five concussions. Does this sound familiar in our uh, uh-huh. killer uh, triad? Uh-huh. Uh, no mention of bedwetting or killing of pets, but, you know, that's one of the three. Right. Um, one was from a car crash and playing sports. I believe he was also one was from a uh, playground accident, if I remember reading something correctly. Oh, wow. Yeah, getting hit with a swing and being oh, knocked shit. out for a while. Shit. Um, afterwards, he became angry and depressed. Um, he started seeing a demon with glowing eyes and heard voices telling him to kill himself. Maybe you should have listened. Fuck, for uh, real, you piece <laughs> of shit. Like, normally I wouldn't say that, but this motherfucker... Yeah. Yeah, well, considering what I wouldn't normally say that either, but considering what we went on to do, mm-hmm. this is one of those, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, a lot of stuff I'm, I kind of danced the line on, you know, like capital punishment. Yeah. But there's certain times where and right. we're going to get into that later as well. Um, there's just certain times you're like, yeah, just, you know, just put them it. out. Put it, kill it with fire. Right. Burn it. Burn it. Uh, at age 10, he was homeschooled. Um, and for the next two years, he molested his little sister because he was such a little darling. No, how and sweet. At 13, he claimed he was raped by a man he trusted and respected and afterwards started self-harming himself. Um, he began to steal and burglarize homes. Um, those burglarized homes were also home invasions as well. Right. Um, I believe, I, yeah, it's coming up. Um, I think they were like 17 um, I'm sure it's going to come up on it, but mm-hmm. if I remember reading that correctly. Um, uh, when concerns were raised about his health, a hospital evaluation recommended he be medicated. Instead, his parents sent him to a religious treatment oh program. Oh, my God. Oh, we can pray the gay away. <laughs> can we? Can, can we? Not? we? Oh, God. Arrested for robbery soon after, he confessed to here to 17 burglaries, declaring he was turning his, and declared that he was going to turn his life around. Right. I've heard um, that before. Yeah, he, he was, he was really, you know, I guess persuasive because obviously he, you know, he served time, but not a lot. He was able to get out. Uh, Judge Bedaventaginta. <laughs> Some. <laughs> Something like that. Judge B. <laughs> Judge B. Agreed that the crimes were serious, leaving homeowners, which is true, leaving homeowners violated and vulnerable. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that is like the worst part of the crime because stuff is, at the end of the day, just stuff. It's the violation of your personal space, you know, your home, your sanctuary. Well, some of the stuff I read where people were like, uh, they, they, um, he stole stuff from me in the middle of the night. And that's not the part they were worried about. It's the fact that the, some guy was in their house right next to him while they're sleeping. Yeah. And that was, but they also left their fucking doors unlocked. The, the book that I read said that nobody in the, in Cheshire, is that what it is? Cheshire. Cheshire. Yeah. No. It, it's, it, it's weird. And you know, I'm going to probably, you know, 
get myself into trouble on this one. But like, you know, where I am, there's probably not a lot of people that lock their doors because it's not that, you know, like I live in the sticks. Right. You know, and I joke with people all the time, like, if you're coming over, don't worry, the door's open, just come on in. Right. You know, um, Cheshire being an affluent area, yeah, but it's not that far outside of like, uh, you know, New Haven. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm further from New Haven or any major city than they are. So, I mean, I can see where they can have that trust of leaving a door open or leaving a garage open, leaving your car unlocked with your wallet sitting it. That's very common. Oh, my goodness. No. Nope. And that's still, that's still common now. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. Yeah. And unfortunately, what will happen is you'll get reports of robberies and you'll see like someone's car got broken into and robbed. And that's when people start locking everything up. Right. Yeah, I couldn't believe that when I read that they're all they all just leave their houses unlocked. It's no big deal. Like, yeah, I mean that that is true. That that's not. Um, I mean, it's not like I'm. It's not like everybody does. It's not like Mayberry or something, <laughs> right? But it's it's not it's not far off. I mean, that's not untrue. I mean, things are probably different now. This you know twenty years ago. But I'm sure there's still areas where people do leave their doors open. Like I, I said, myself, if I only know I'm going to be out for a couple hours, which I know it doesn't make a difference. It only takes a minute for right. someone to break in. But, yeah, I, I've definitely done it. And if I know, you know, someone's like, yeah, I'm going to be over there, I'll just leave the door open. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not completely uncommon. So that that is true. I, yeah, when I read that, I was like, well, all right. You've got, all like, all this shit in this big house. And you leave your door locked. And I wouldn't even care about my shit. It's my kids that I'm worried about. Like, lock that fucking shit up. Keep your kids safe. Okay, big, big difference is, like, I'm here by myself now. When my right. daughter is with me, yeah, the door's locked. Yeah. <laughs> Door, door's locked, gun, it's already. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's me. Like, I have, like, 15 different locks on my house, and the guns are here. They're ready to roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've got I've got them at the ready, and my daughter has bats in her room. So yeah, yeah, good. me too. We're and good. we also live in the sticks, so it's like whatever. But still, fucking be prepared. I'm like a goddamn Boy Scout. Yeah, my daughter, <laughs> I gave my daughter the bat. She's like, "What's this?" I'm like, "In case." <laughs> we call them the forget me sticks. Yeah, and they say if, if you put it in your car, just make sure you have a baseball bat with you, please. Loyal, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, um, Carmen Rzeski from uh, 20 to 22 drank, took drugs. Um, he also dated a 16-year-old girl with whom he had a baby daughter. Oh, oh great. God. Um, the other thing, too, is I don't know if it, um, how much it gets into here. He, he definitely had a history of uh, dating underage girls yeah yeah i don't know how much we got into it but i'm um, seeing that i see the 16 year old that he knocked up when he was uh over 20 yeah which is which is kind of gross yeah it's it's kind of weird because like you get older the age thing goes away but like no 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 not not sick not 20 and 16 that doesn't work no and like so if i were to date somebody five years older than me at this point that's not a big deal because i'm damn near 40 but if i was 16 and dating somebody five years older it is it is different like (laughs) yeah yeah, that's a a big difference that's not okay i'm still a child at 16 right 
I mean, at 18, different story, I guess. Yeah, ish. Ish. I mean, if it's 20, it's that's nothing. But, like, even at 20, I don't know. It's like, if you're not old enough to get to a bar to have a drink. Right. It should be, and you, you are, it should be a no-no. Yeah. Just my personal opinion. I agree. I'll just go back. Uh, Judge B agreed that the crimes were serious, leaving homeowners feeling violated and vulnerable, and told uh, Joshua that between five... The five previous convictions in Meriden uh, and a dozen in Bristol. It isn't fair to characterize your course of conduct as predatory. It is fair. It is fair to characterize your course of conduct as predatory. With the sentence of nine years in prison followed by six on parole, he instructed the defendant, if you don't change your life in the next 15 years, there's really no hope for you. Like, (laughs) he has burglarized burgled 17 people already but we'll give you a chance to try to turn your life around in the next 15 years now yeah that that ain't ain't gonna happen no i mean well i mean he was 20 what 2022 so i guess in theory right yeah someone could turn their life around but but he didn't, so there's he that. Didn't, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's not funny, but no, yeah. Well, and so after that, that's when he got he was put in jail for nine years, but got early parole and and full custody of his daughter. Yeah. What the fuck? I, how many guys do you hear of getting full cut? I mean. Right. The mom must have been a total, total fuck up because, oh my God. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Because if he's getting paroled early and then getting full custody, like something is fucking going, going wrong. And in early 2006, Joshua met Stephen Joseph Hayes on an alcohol and drug program. Oh, good. (laughs) They were trying to get help, and yeah. Um, He was a loud, rough drug addict with convictions for violent offenses. Hayes seemed to be the opposite of us. Oh, my God, I can't talk. Joshua. (laughs) Yes. The opposite of sober family man, Joshua, yet a bond formed. Should we talk about Stephen Hayes and his fucked up life? I guess we have to. I know. Uh, actually, little is known about Hayes. His own childhood. Uh, he was born in Homestead, Florida, where his father James was stationed in the Air Force. Uh, his family moved to Connecticut shortly after. He was born in 1963. His parents divorced in 1978. When he was 14, his mother Diana raised Hayes and his two brothers while working as a home companion. Um, Hayes didn't finish high school, dropping out of Canton High School at the age of 16, according to his parole file. He obtained his high school equivalency diploma in 1982 after passing his uh, GED test while in the Cheshire Correctional Institute. Yay! Go Uh, Steven! Dream big! (laughs) Which is actually where I took my, uh, when I was telling you about taking uh, the test for uh, correction officer. That's where I had to take it. Ah, so you can get a GED and your correction officer stuff. Uh, Yeah. All in the same place. Somehow Hayes impressed uh, Margaret Donovan, the teacher who helped him get his GED. 
she wrote an unsolicited letter on his behalf when he tried to get his sentence modified. Quote, I have faith in Stephen's self-rehabilitation. I believe that in returning him to society at an earlier date, he will be doing something that will improve beneficial to Stephen, to society, and his own family. End quote, wrote Donovan, who has since died. I think that it was backwards day that day. Yeah. <laughs> she might have died choking on those words. Yeah. <laughs> My <Fuck>. God. <laughs> That's no shit. Yeah. Uh, his sentence was not modified, but within months he was placed on supervised home release, uh, the record show. That pattern repeated itself over the years, which is why I read basically he was able to keep smooth talking his way into getting reduced sentences after he'd been convicted. He must have been banging that chick. Nobody else would, so he did. Well, I think pictures of him back in the day did have a pretty sweet mullet, so... Oh, shit. That's a panty dropper right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, all right, all right. (laughs) (laughs) Since he was 16 years old, Hayes had been in and out of prison serving 26 different stints. Oh my hell. Fuckers are lucky you don't live in California. Right? Three strikes and you're out my ass. He did, like I was saying, 26 different stints in Connecticut jails on charges ranging from bad checks to petty larceny, uh, the record show. Um, From what I could tell from what I read was it was mostly like petty van, like burglaries, like out of cars, stealing stuff out of cars is what it looked like. A uh, former Winstead police officer who arrested a teenage Hayes called him a human vacuum cleaner. <laughs> he would steal anything he could. His, right. mo- his most recent arrest before the uh, Cheshire home invasion involved stealing a woman's purse from a locked minivan. There we go. At a Dopog reservoir. He was arrested by Metropolitan District Commission police officers were staking out the parking lot after a rash of car break-ins. Police report from May 4th, 2004. Uh, it describes Hayes driving into a lot in his mother's Ford Escort. <laughs> Speaking of panty droppers. Right? Uh, a mullet and a Ford Escort? Mm. And styling and profiling. <laughs> Popping the hood as if he were going to check the engine. Um and watching as people left their cars. All right. After so many arrests and so many opportunities to start again, even Hayes was astonished when he was sent to the Stillman House, a halfway house in Hartford, in 2006 to serve out the last of his sentence in connection with the MDC car break-in. One of his roommates, Mike, told The Current in 2007, shortly after the murders, that Hayes said numerous times that he quote, didn't know how the hell they let me out of jail, end quote. That's reassuring. <sighs> God. <laughs> you know, yet there's still people serving 20 years for smoking a doobie. Fucking right. <sighs> uh, That's the shit that kills me, man. Me too. Like, the system is so goddamn broken. It is. Like, they'll let a child molester out and run free, but somebody that had a, a pipe with some weed in it is going to sit there forever. Yeah. 
We won't even go have the whole thing about how we shouldn't be criminalized. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> going, uh, going back to the crime, they had met at about midnight and dropped off one car, rode together in another. They headed to the town of Cheshire, Connecticut. And uh, the book described the town as looking like a postcard picture. Like, as you're driving into it, it looks like this perfect little... Uh, in my mind, it's, like, black and white, and everybody's in, like, dresses from the 50s and shit. Like... You yeah. know, I was going to say, you know what? If you're probably... If it's probably someone listening that thinks, like, New England, yeah, it, it kind of is. Is it um, really? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the towns around here that aren't cities... Um, definitely, if you go to their downtowns, it definitely is that picturesque, you know, New England, small town feeling. Even if the town's bigger, if you can get to where the downtown is, yeah, it definitely has that picturesque feel. That's crazy. I, I wasn't too far off then. No, not actually not. As soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Sorry, I lost my I lost my spot. I was gonna continue, but I don't know where the hell I am. I, I got I got you. I got okay. you. So this is where the fuckery unfortunately really starts. At approximately three AM, July twenty third, two thousand seven, Stephen and Joshua broke into the pet at home through a screen window. Um, there's a discrepancy whether it was a screen or an unlocked door. Yeah, the book said they went through like the uh, porch. Like, so it's probably it's probably a screen door on the porch. Yeah, it's probably what it is. But they said um, that they just walked in, like they didn't break in at all. They just walked into it. Yeah, and this is the other weird thing is that the rest of the family had gone to bed, and Doctor Pettit had actually stayed up and was downstairs and had fallen asleep on the couch, um, on the downstairs. So when they walk in, they did find Doctor Pettit asleep on the couch on the lower level of the house. Um, and they have found a baseball bat actually at the scene. It's nothing they brought. Yeah. And they hit him over the head, dragged him down to the basement and bound him up. Josh and she's Steve then proceed to go to the bedrooms, tie up Miss Pettit, 16 year old Haley and 11 year old Michaela to each of their respective beds. They then proceeded to ransack the house, looking for any valuables, that they could find, um, obviously, to sell or worth anything. And after spending a lot of time looking, um, the only thing they could come up with was a uh, bank book, which showed uh, and enough money that they were looking for, and they figured it was the only way they were going to uh, have a successful haul out of this uh, break-in. Uh, they came up with a plan uh, that they would wait and go to the bank when it opened up in the morning, um, they would drive Miss Pettit to try to make a withdrawal. Uh, in the meantime, before the bank opened, um, Hayes drove to a gas station in the Pettit's SUV and filled up two gas containers with gasoline using uh, stolen credit cards. Um, so that right there showing some kind of premeditation. Right. Well, and I read that it was uh, not even gas containers, that it was like Tupperware, like a tote. I didn't even read that. Yeah, it said that it was a tell, and it said it again later um, that they found them, and it was like it. Yeah, it wasn't even gas cans. It was like a full blown tote full of just yeah. gas. 
because I was trying to see if there was something saying how many gallons. <laughs> right. You know, if it was like a five-gallon container, two-gallon, I couldn't find anything. So it was like gas containers. Um, I didn't see the um, thing about the Tupperware, though. Yeah, that's what it said in, in the book, which, I mean, you never know, but... Right. So by the time the sun was coming up, they had told Miss Pettit about their plan to get the money and said they would have her do it. They would keep her daughter safe. They told her if she called the cops or told anyone or did anything, they would kill her husband and daughter, which is uh, obviously motivation to get her to follow along with her plan. Right. And for her, she's probably like, I don't give a shit. I'll give you the money. Just keep my family safe. Like, fuck the money. Yeah, I mean, you can always make more. Um, so at 9 a.m., Hayes drove her to the bank, reminding her that Joshua still had her family held hostage at the home, and that if she cooperated, no one would be hurt. Um, at this time, she entered the bank shaking and had a hard time filling out the deposit slip. There were about 20 people in line. She ended up cutting in line, and the people there could see that she was having issues and didn't get upset. And I'll tell you what, in Connecticut, that's saying a lot because people are pretty damn rude. <laughs> right. Well, they it says that they were like, they could see that she was physically disturbed. I'm sure she didn't like get up and get ready, get dressed and look decent after, you know, all of that's going on. And then she's in there just shaking and then just cuts in line. Everybody's probably like, oh, shit, help, help her. She needs money. Yeah. Like I said. That's, that's saying a lot around here. Everybody's not as laid back as other parts of the uh, country, you know? Well, I can't imagine that would go over well anywhere. Like, if there's a lot of people in line for the bank and somebody just goes up there, it's like, what the fuck, man? What yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, uh, on the slip, it said, need to withdraw $15,000. I have the money because my family... I have to have the money because my family's being held hostage. If the police are notified, my family will be killed. Imagine being that teller reading that. Oh, my hell. Nope. Uh, even if she had said something, withdrawing $15,000 would raise red flags anyway. Well, yeah, they'd be like, why do you all of a sudden need $15,000? At 9 o'clock in the morning. Right, and you look like shit. I believe it's like anything over ten grand raises flags right away. I could imagine. Because um, it's not very often that people just go in there and take out... I mean, I've never had that much in the bank, so I don't fucking know, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what? I'm going I'm to be, I'm going to be hopeful and say someday. <laughs> right. Fuck it. I get, nope. I ain't even going to try. I'm not even going to try to be hopeful. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I will. I'll be optimistic for once. Yeah. Let's be optimistic. Powerball, mm. baby. <laughs> right. Except for you can't play that in Utah. So I'm still fucked. For real? Yeah, we you can't gamble in Utah. Damn, son. There's no lottery here. So no Mega Million, no Powerball, no scratches. Nope. No, but 20 minutes away in Colorado there is, so if I really wanted to, I could drive over there and do it. Oh, okay. You don't have dry counties there, do you? I have what? Dry counties? What do you mean? I like think- Tennessee has dry counties, like you can't get booze. Oh, well, not, no, but they can, there can only be one liquor store per town. Like, wow. yeah, 
in all of Utah. So in our town of 10,000 people, we can have one liquor store. It's open from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Saturday. And yeah, I talked, to, I talked to Angel about the hours we were talking about blue laws. Yeah. But Jesus Christ. Yeah, and the ones in the county next to us, the two counties next to us, well, no, it's Duchesne County, so it would be the two towns. Um, the one in Roosevelt, which is 30 minutes away from us, they have a, oh, does it, is it like that in Roosevelt? Yeah, I think so. There's a counter, and you have to tell them what you want. You can't, like, go in and shop and find what you want. You have to go to the counter and tell them what you want, and it's the same way in Duchesne. Wow. Yeah, I had never been to either one of them until it was the last year that I've been there. But then you go to Heber, which is the town a couple after that on the way to Salt Lake, and it's huge. So, <laughs> in Colorado, oh, yeah. like there was a liquor store within five seconds of every direction of my house. <laughs> it was all right there all the time, and they're like they don't close. I swear. Yeah, it's like going to New York. <laughs> yeah. Like, what time does the package store close? They just look at you funny. Like, what are you talking about? Do they close? <laughs> no, no, they don't. <laughs> Yeesh. Oh, thank God we're an hour and a half away. Well, not so much now, but when you were younger, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, the police were notified. Uh, and, well, unfortunately, during this time, the Hayes... Um, Hayes was at the bank with Miss Pettit. Uh, Joshua, being the pedophile piece of shit that he was, uh, forced the 11 year old Mikhail to perform oral sex on him. And uh, he went ahead and recorded it on his phone. I, that part just really fucking pisses me off. A lot. Yeah. That is all I have to say. It disgusts me, and it pisses me the fuck off, and I can't think about it anymore because I cannot take that part. No, I mean, I'm glad they didn't go into... I mean, I know you guys go into detail, but that's enough detail on that. I didn't... There wasn't any detail on that in the book no, that I could find. I yeah. know there wasn't. I'm kind of glad because that's just... <sighs> yeah, I was glad that there wasn't detail because I didn't want to read it. Um. The Cheshire Police response to the bank's report began with assessing the situation and setting up a vehicle perimeter without revealing their presence to the two suspects. Uh, the police maintained, uh, remained outside for more than an hour and a half, taking the preliminary measures. While in this time, the assailants uh, escalated uh, at this point, uh, were raping. Um, the women inside the house, um, police were quoted here dawdling at the scene and made no effort uh, to assist uh, as to the assailants aware of their presence. Well, the sorry, you can. No, go ahead. What what gets me is that so they were notified while they were at the bank. They had time to give the woman $15,000 and send her on her way while fucking Steve is sitting out in the car watching her through the blinds. And they notify the police. The police don't get there. The police don't get to the house before Steve and Jennifer. And I don't understand that. If they had time to 
I don't know if they had time to get the money and I, and it sounded like they kind of took their time cause they went to the manager and asked the manager if it was okay, blah, blah, blah. And then, but they still got, they still got back to the house before the police got there. And then when the police get there, they don't fucking do anything. Yeah. Sorry. You, you yeah, may I mean, carry I, on. It doesn't say how far the bank is from the house. And you know, I don't know personally how far it is. It said in the book, and I already forgot, it wasn't very far. It, like, not very far at all. It was like five minutes, maybe. Yeah, I, w- I would probably guess within five, ten minutes of the house. But you're like you're saying, it's like you had probably like a good five to ten minutes in the bank and another, you know, so you're talking like 20 minutes. Right, that they had time to get there before they showed up. Right. They could have gone in and assessed the house. They could have done anything, but they didn't. They chose to do nothing. Uh, during this time, Hayes and uh, Joshua escalated the aggravated nature of their crimes. Joshua then allegedly provoked Hayes into raping Jennifer. While Hayes was raping her on the floor of the living room, Joshua entered the room and announced that William Pettit had escaped. Hayes then strangled Jennifer and doused her lifeless body and parts of the house with um, gasoline. William Pettit had in in time been able to free himself. Um, he just freed his hands, but he wasn't able to free his legs. But he was able to get out of the basement, and um, he had suffered a bad concussion. He was pretty sure that his skull was cracked. He was able to untie his hands, but couldn't get his legs untied. He crawled across the yard since his legs were still bound and called the neighbor for help. The neighbor indicated that he had that he did not recognize Petit or Pettit due to the severity of his injuries. I don't understand how the fuck the police were outside and did not see him, but they were outside and they did not see him. Well, at the same time, this is when the two douchebags set the house on fire and took off in the SUV. He was hopping and then he would fall and then um, he would just start crawling. So he crawled and got to his neighbor's house before the police saw him. And his neighbor didn't even recognize him because he was so fucked up from getting bashed over the head with a baseball bat. Right. I Okay, but what I don't get is how the fuck didn't the police that were in the perimeter not fucking see him at first? They didn't see him until he got to the neighbor's house. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of backlash on police. That There's, there's definitely a lot about that, how they didn't do anything. They just waited. Whoever was oh. calling the shots that day was fucking ridiculous. Yeah, and unfortunately, you didn't hear of any uh, outcome of that, like anyone getting uh, reprimanded. Really? No, I I don't remember hearing anything, and I didn't read anything. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that far. But I'm I'm, I'm assuming it just got swept under the rug. As oh, far I'm as sure. That goes. Yeah, because they were waiting for the SWAT team. So whatever. But so what I read in the book, though, is when he gets over to the neighbor's house and his house is now on fire, he's laying there like semi-conscious, but, you know, he's like, he's super dazed, obviously, but he can hear, 
his daughter screaming as they're burning alive from the porch of the neighbor's house. And then the ambulance shows up and hauls him off. Like, how fucking horrifying is that? I I couldn't even imagine. Um, I, I, I don't want to imagine. No, I don't either. What it comes down to. And that, yeah, and like you said before, that's when the, the two guys realized that the police were there. So they went and got in the petite... The petite, bleh, those Pettit. people, pet it. I knew I wasn't saying it right, but I still couldn't fucking say it right. They went and got in their SUV and hauled ass. Yep. And the police called in the house fire and decided that now we can finally clear the house. Okay. Even though they still hear the screams from upstairs, we're going to, we'll finally call it in. And. Yeah, before the dad got hauled off, he was begging them, please help my wife and children, please help them. I can hear him screaming, and then he was hauled off. Well, the men, as they took off, were immediately spotted by police, um, and they were pursued. Now, what you wrote compared to what I read were just a little bit different, but that's there's always that. Yeah. Because I, in the book, it said that, okay, well, you said that they... Um, rammed into one of the police cars and fled on foot. Yes. And they were arrested one block away. But what what the book said was that they never got out and ran. They were they were taken like immediately out of the car. But that's not yeah, that big of a difference. It's weird because like that's what I read. Like I know they did smash into the police vehicle. Yeah, I read that but, too. Um, the book said they they had a short pursuit on foot as Um, i remember it hearing it on the news was they were immediately like they just gave up yeah and because i remember and this is just my personal opinion and i'm sure a few of the listeners will agree with me i don't even think the police should let them put their hands up i think they should blew their brains out right there on the street right you know what they did there's it's not a maybe no and they watched it all happen right and heard it all happen I mean, if, if there's any time for justifiable homicide, I think that would have been it. Yeah. <clears throat> but like I said, that's my personal opinion. I, I, I'm i with you on that one. Well, so, you know. Yeah, as the house um, was burning, the rain started pouring. And so I guess that's good. That kept it kind of at bay. But then the men were taken into custody just before 10 a.m. So this all happened over seven hours. Yeah. Fuck. Um, The other thing that's mentioned, too, is that Michaela was actually able to free herself. Oh, really? Yeah. And she she, um, died from smoke inhalation. Oh. She was trying to escape. Um, Unfortunately, uh, the 11-year-old... Did burn alive. Oh. On her bed. Good God. Yeah. That's so fucking horrible. Um, when the fire department showed up at 10.01 a.m., there was no more screams coming from the house. And that's when the full horror of the situation was revealed. The firemen found the three bodies, um, which was Jennifer and her daughter's in the house and they found like the fire trail. They kept mentioning the fire trail, 
Well, that's because it was where they had poured all the gas. It was a trail that went from the bodies and down the halls and shit. Oh, yeah, I read that. Mm-hmm. And then they had the semi-charred, um, well, semi-melted buckets that they had all this gasoline in. Uh, yeah. So, uh, while William's at the hospital, he was notified that his wife and daughters were dead at noon. They waited two hours to tell him. I don't know if they were waiting for him to be stable or what the fuck. Yeah, I mean, he was probably, I mean, he was probably asking. You got to figure at that point. Yeah. Right, how to just tell him, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, it wasn't like he was completely unconscious where they could they could get away with waiting a day or two, you know? Yeah. The press conference was held that day, and I'm going to read exactly what it said out of the book. Okay. It says, this is a press... Ugh, maybe, I, maybe I'll read it. Maybe I'll fumble. I don't know. <laughs> Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> This is a press conference called regarding events that that took place this morning here in the town of Cheshire sometime around 9.30 this morning. First of all, I need to stress to you that this case is ongoing as we speak and there are many areas that we are still not able to discuss or give details on as we anticipate charges to be filed. The facts are as follows. This morning, shortly after 9.30... A suspicious incident took place at the Bank of America in Maplecroft Plaza here in the town of Cheshire. The employees of the Bank of America thought the activities were suspicious enough that they had contacted the Cheshire Police Department and advised them of the suspicious incident. The Cheshire Police dispatched officers to the vicinity of the bank and the area of the victim's residence in an attempt and effort to intercept the vehicle involved in this suspicious behavior that took place at the bank. Several police officers responded to the area of the bank as well as to the area of the victim's residence. Upon arrival at the victim's residence, an officer observed two male subjects. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) An officer observed two male subjects exit a private residence and also observed the private residence fully engulfed in flames. Nothing suspicious there. No. The first responding officer attempted to intercept these two suspects as they exited the driveway in a vehicle. The the suspect vehicle rammed a Cheshire police officer's car and continued on Sorghum Mill Road. I think those are the words. Close enough. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) While the suspect vehicle was fleeing from that first accident, two additional Cheshire police officers positioned their vehicles to intercept the suspect vehicle. Observing the Cheshire police officers' vehicles, the suspects increased their speed and rammed two additional Cheshire police cars. Uh, uh, (laughs) All of the police officers involved in these two incidences were not injured. At that point, two officers from Cheshire PD were able to approach the suspects and were able to take them into custody without incident. The Cheshire Fire Department responded to the fire scene and upon... upon, Oh my God. 
upon suppression of the fire, were able to enter the residence and discovered the remains of three victims. Cheshire police officers were assigned to secure the residence, the bank, and the two accident sites as crime scenes. Both of the individuals have been transported here to Cheshire Police Headquarters. They are in the process of being booked at this time. Cheshire Police Chief Michael Cruis requested the assistance of the Connecticut State Police Major Crime Squad and the Office of State Fire Marshal to work with the Cheshire Police Department and New Haven State Attorney's Office in this investigation. It is important for me to mention again that this is a very extensive investigation. I know there are many details and many rumors out there that we will not be able to confirm at this time. You fucking think? Like, they didn't mention most of what happened. Just so you know. They say their first first um, time they went to the scene, the house was in flames. That's also not true. Not true at all. So they're a little bit fucked up in their bullshit press conference. Well, because it may it makes them look a little bit better because they right. didn't want them to know that they were sitting out there for about what did it come out to about twenty minutes, a half hour? At least, yeah. Yeah. Assholes. Yeah. It's okay. I'm okay. <laughs> right. Not gonna go off. <laughs> breathe <laughs> when the investigators went to the house they noticed the girls were tied to the bed okay this is why I didn't know that the other girl got free because in the book it, it says, says plural yeah. yeah it says girls were tied to the bed spread eagle and made them believe that there was some sort of sexual assault other than the one that you already talked about that's fucking horrifying um, the police went to Josh's house after that, Joshua, uh, with a search warrant, and they questioned his mom, and they were like, was he home last night? And she's like, no, he was here till, from about 7.30 to 11.30, and he left. They're like, what was he wearing? She's like, oh, a dark hoodie, dark clothes. And they're like, well, where did he say he was going? To meet a guy named Steve about a job. <laughs> All right, red flags. Um, they also took the computer because they were looking up files to see what he had looked up to, you know, make it be premeditated. Right. Um, they also retrieved a few cell phones from the men's clothing and they think one was one of the, uh, girls cell phones because it was like a pink cell phone and the other one belonged to one of, one of them. Just after midnight, though, they got uh, warrants to search the men themselves, and they were searching for evidence of sexual assault, which I didn't find anything else. I didn't find any results of what came from that. Which, no, I, I didn't see anything on that either. It, they just, they like teased me and then dropped it, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think that's one of those things you would actually have to read through the entire court case. Right. Which... It would be extremely lengthy because, A, there was yeah. two separate court cases uh, and when this actually settled out, and it was lengthy. It went out for weeks. Yeah. 
Um, the community was in shock, though, because this wasn't something that happened there. There had been three murders there in the last 10 years, and not one of them was, like, to this extent. They said that the people that were on the scene were probably, that was probably the first murder slash dead body that they've ever seen because it just didn't happen there. I believe it. Their bond was set for $15 million each. Which... Really, I mean, in granted, that's an insane number, but the fact they're still granted bond, like, no, no, you don't get to get out. Like that means if like, if through some channel you were able to get the cash, they could have literally been on the street till the trial. Right. That's literally, what I mean, granted, it's an insane number, but, but in theory, yeah, there's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. So you saying this? There should not be one. <laughs> no, come on. Um, there was a lot of anger from everybody that lived there, and they were like legitimately concerned about vigilantes, which they should be. I mean, yeah. I would, I would probably be one if I was savage and didn't have any kids, but. The men got put in separate facilities, and they were in Gen Pop, and I think that was what a lot of the concern was, which I don't give a fuck. Let them get fucked up in there. They're pieces of shit. I believe Hayes ended up in solitary. Did he? Um, I know leading up to his trial, and this we didn't put this in here, he actually had a couple suicide attempts. Yeah. You know, he saved up his uh, pills and tried ODing. Yeah. I'm, I remember hearing about that. You know, so. But I think he, I think he ended up in solitary right before the uh, trial. Ew. I don't like either one of them. They should be out yeah. in Gen Pop getting their ass kicked once Exactly. Or, yeah. Really often. Because they're pieces they of shit. They should have been handing the other inmate shivs. Here you go. Have fun. Yep. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. Here, it's your turn. Ew. So, with the trial, they each had their own trial. And Hayes went first. Hayes's jury was composed of seven women and five men. Following the completion of the trial, the jury deliberated for about four hours to reach their guilty verdict. I'm surprised they needed that long. Remember what I was saying before, too. Right. You got four hours. Yeah. Um, the sentencing phase of the trial began October 18th of 2010, during which the jurors had to decide if Hayes would be executed or imprisoned for life. The second day of the deliberations began November 6th of 2010. Attorney Thomas Ullman told the jury that a sentence of life in prison would be the harshest possible punishment for his client Hayes because he was so tormented by his crimes and he would be isolated in prison. He said, quote, life in prison without the possibility of release is the harshest penalty. It is a fate worse than death. If you want to end his misery, put him to death, he added. If you want him to suffer and carry that burden forever, the guilt, the shame, and humiliation sentence him to life without the possibility of release. I agree with that. I used to be all for, like, kill him, kill, kill, kill. Now it's like, you know what? Let's let him sit there and stew about it for their whole fucking life. 
Except for most yeah. of them won't. But jail has to be totally, jail has to be horrible. Prison has to be horrible. Well, I mean, it's not a, well, not a country club. So, <laughs> All I can think about is the lack of windows. And that freaks me out alone. That makes me stay on the straight and narrow all by itself. I mean, I, I've heard the food is horrible, and that's enough to... Uh, right? Make, yeah. yeah, we that, watch... Cal, my son Calvin and I watch all kinds of prison shows and jail shows. And there was one we were watching, and I can't remember what it was, but they give him like this big clump of stuff. And I don't know what the fuck it is, but it said, they said it has enough protein and nutrients in it that that's all you have to eat is this brick of bullshit. I'm like, well, I'm just going to be a good human because I don't want to eat the bullshit brick. <laughs> no. Nope. Yeah, I'm not about that. Nope. That, that or butt stuff. I'm, I'm good on the butt stuff, too. <laughs> you don't want the butt stuff? No, I'm, I'm good there. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm open-minded. <laughs> but it has to be on your terms. <laughs> yeah, and preferably, you know. No, you know, not. I, I don't care what other people do, but I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just not into dudes. Yeah. Sorry if I'm disappointing anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you just lost a bunch of people. Like, they're like, fuck that. Yeah. We're oh, out. Man. Yeah, I'm okay. not. Okay, well, maybe. <laughs> All right, fine. But, you know, a couple of drinks while we'll talk about it. <laughs> Loosens it up. Because, you know, <laughs> Chuck, we have a, a joke with Chuck about his soft anus. So... I mean, oh, I, I was I was dying. I was rolling some of the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how the shit that started. I don't think that I was in on how it started, but it got mentioned in one of our group texts, and then it like everything to me turned into how Chuck got his soft anus. <laughs> <laughs> there are many different scenarios. He won't tell me. A lady never tells. But like I said, I've always joked around and said, I, I kind of wish I was because I'd have to I have options on both sides. Right. You can give or take. It doesn't matter. But if you just want to lay there and sweat, you can. <laughs> <laughs> if you feel like doing more, you can. Right. <laughs> You're right. Well, that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So going back to this, oh, the trial. Yes, this on November tenth of two. No, on November eighth of two thousand ten, the jury returned with a recommendation that Hayes be executed. The jury recommended a death sentence on each of the six capital felonies, felony counts for which Hayes was convicted in the sentencing phase. The jury had deliberated for about 17 hours over the course of three and a half days before reaching a decision. Hayes had attempted to negotiate a life sentence in a plea bargain after the verdict. His defense attorney said, quote, Hayes smiled upon hearing the jury's recommendation of a death sentence. He then added, he is thrilled. He's very happy with the verdict. That's what he wanted all along. You motherfucking piece of shit. I hate you. I hate you so much. Which, you know, I remember hearing that and I'm like, I just don't know how much I believe that. Yeah. You know, it's like, I think that was like his play to almost be like, oh, no, no, no. You know, maybe we'll, we'll just give him life. I but don't know. The, the state was at the time uh, absolutely ready to kill him. Um. 
if that was me, that's what I would want too. Though I'm, I'd rather die than sit in prison. So. Yeah, he just, but he just, I don't know. Like there's just something about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know how you get a vibe off something. It just like you felt like he was playing the system that way. Like, uh, oh yeah, please, please do like reverse psychology. I guess. Right. Yep. Oh. You know? Well, that was the first time in Connecticut state history that the Connecticut State Judicial Branch offered post-traumatic stress assistance to two jurors, or not to two, to the jurors who served there for two months on the triple murder trial because they'd been required to look at disturbing images and hear grisly testimonies. I can't imagine what the fuck those crime scene photos look like. I do not want to know. No, and that and that's saying a lot because I had to do um, some family law mm-hmm. for a while in here in Connecticut, and some of the cases I had to go through, and I I didn't do it for I didn't do family law for that law for this reason. Right, it is tra- it is traumatizing. Yeah, and I learned really really quick when you'd have like you go into a case file and you'd see pictures, don't click on them unless nope. you have to. Do not click on them. Nope. No, hell no. you can't unsee shit. Mm-mm. You no. know, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, even like something as tame as like an autopsy photo. Yeah. It's one thing to watch it on TV. It's another thing to know it's like, this is the person's case you have. Mm-hmm. That's them gutted like a fish on a slab. Right. Right. It's- yeah. Somebody sent me, it was one of my friends sent me a Dahmer picture once. Uh, like the Dahmer pose and all that shit. And I was not, I didn't know what I was opening. I didn't know it was coming. And I was like, fuck, no, <laughs> I don't want it. But then when I saw it later at the Museum of Death, I was prepared. So it wasn't so bad. But when it's an un- unsolicited crime scene photo, fuck, I'd rather see an yeah. unsolicited dick pic. And I am not about that. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going to be like, my phone's going to go bing, 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 bing. luckily i don't have that problem i've gotten one and that's that's, all that's not too bad i mean i i hear unfortunately hear girls complain about it all the time well i know other people that have gotten plenty i don't know i don't entertain the bullshit though so on december 2nd 2010 hayes apologized for the pain and suffering that he had caused the petite fam the pettit i keep saying it wrong family and added that quote death for me will be well uh, will be a welcome relief and i hope it will bring some peace and comfort to those who i have hurt so much judge john blue formally imposed six death sentences one for each of the capital charges blue then added a sentence of 106 years for other crimes hayes committed during the home invasion including kidnapping burglary and assault before finishing with this is a terrible sentence, but but is, in truth, a sentence you wrote for yourself in flames. May God have mercy on your soul. That was a quote. Sorry, I forgot to say that. The judge also, also gave Hayes an official execution date of May 27, 2011. Blue said that this date was was a formality because if Hayes appealed his case, his execution could be delayed for decades. His death sentence became a life sentence in August of 2015 when the state abolished the death penalty. Penalty? I can't say penalty again. Penalty. Penalty. Ha ha, fucker, take that. You don't get the death penalty. 
<laughs> yeah, there was, um, I remember when that happened, there was a big to do when they were abolishing it. They actually wanted to make for these two fuckers, they wanted to make it so they could still be executed. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, that was the thing. Like, like Connecticut was like, yeah, we're cool with getting rid of the death penalty, but can we kill these two fuckers, please? Right. Let's let's do away with them. At least. Yeah. Like, that was the thing. Holy shit. Yeah. Well, um, the guy whose last name that we don't say, because his name is Joshua. Yeah, whatever. Yep. <laughs> He was found guilty on October 13th of 2011, and on December 9th of 2011, the jury recommended the death penalty. On January 27th of 2012, Joshua was sentenced to death by lethal injection. During the hearing, Joshua insisted that he did not intend to kill anyone and spoke about the shame, hurt, and disappointment that he had caused. He said, quote, I will never find peace within. My life will be a continuation of the hurt I caused. The clock is now ticking, and I owe a debt I cannot repay. Ugh. He also said <laughs> forgiveness was not his to have, and quote, he needs to forgive his worst enemy, himself. I don't like him, and not at all. I feel like he is trying to play mind games with everyone. Him and that other son of a bitch. Yeah, I mean, you know what? You're, you're never going to get forgiveness. No, <laughs> Just, nobody forgives you. No. You're a piece of shit. Um, Blue set July 20th, 2012 as Joshua's execution date. As with Hayes. His death sentence was turned into a life sentence in August of 2015. <laughs> I couldn't be more happy about that. Uh, I hope I hope they're miserable every second. Oh, I do too. Well, do you want to move into the aftermath? Because the aftermath is a little, you know. Yeah, it's kind of a little bit of an up uptick, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, in the aftermath of uh, this tragedy, 2007, John Carpenter, an employee of the Chase Collegiate School, ran the New York City Marathon, raising over $8,000 for the Miles for Michaela campaign, a scholarship benefit. Aww. That Yeah, so that same year, William Pettit, and this is where I got a little bit confused because... Um, well, William Pett established the Michaela Rose Pettit 14 Scholarship Fund at the Chase Collegiate School. So I believe that had something to do with um, them raising the $8,000. Oh, okay. Because um, the only reason I say that is because um, I've started a scholarship before um, for a friend that passed away, and that's how we did it. Oh, okay. So we, you know, you raise the money and you set the funds. So that's probably both in the same. But the second part here, he also established the Haley and hope Michaela's Miracle MS Memorial Fund. McKa uh, Haley had actually set that up before she died. Yeah. For her. It just looks like they attached Michaela's name to it. Okay. Is basically all I can gather from that. Or they started a whole new one or <laughs> something. Um, on January 6, 2008, 
over 130,000 uh, luminary candles were lit in front of thousands of homes across Cheshire in Cheshire Lights of Hope, a fundraiser for multiple sclerosis and a tribute to the Pettit family, founded by a local couple, Don and Jennifer Walsh. The event raised over $100,000 for Haley's Hope and McKaylee's Miracle Funds. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so, like I said, it's a tragedy. Um, fortunately, trying to get some good out of it. Yeah. Uh, the murder and its aftermaths were featured on news magazines and a sh- uh, Dateline show in a segment entitled The Family of Sorghum Mill Drive and the <laughs> Oprah Rim. Free, uh, Oprah Winfrey show did a full hour episode about the murders of his family and the work uh, of the Pettit Family Foundation. I couldn't find that. Oh, yeah. Um, I know there was, or do I have it down below? There was also an HBO, yeah, uh, HBO show, uh, HBO broadcasted documentary film by David Hellbrummer. Yeah. Called Cheshire Murders. I, wa- I watched that one. That's about an hour and a half long. It's on YouTube if anyone is interested in uh, checking that out. All right. If you want to sit through that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right? Yeah, I don't know. Nope. No, I I think uh, listening to this for anybody should be enough. No kidding. uh, On August 5th, 2012, uh, Dr. Pettit married Christine Poloff. Uh, He met her when... uh, she was volunteering at the Pettit Family Foundation on August 1st, 2013. Uh, Dr. Pettit told station WFSB, that's a local news station in Connecticut, that he and uh, Poloff were expecting uh, a child together. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine having another kid after that. I mean, I'm glad he did and that he's moving on, but holy shit. The other thing, too, is, I mean, I I know ages, but he's got to be in his 50s. Right. I mean, having a kid in that, like, wow. I just hope that it was a boy. Uh, I didn't find that out. (laughs) Right? I didn't really either. (laughs) Why, Why a boy? I'm just curious. Because could you imagine after you have two girls and they died and then you have another kid and then you're comparing everything that those little girls do to your other or that little girl does to your other girls? I don't know. Yeah, I, I see. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, in October 2013, Pettit announced that he'd be considering running for Congress for the Republican Party after being approached by the National Republican Congressional Committee who had asked him if he would be interested in running. Pettit ultimately decided not to be a candidate, but in May 2016, Pettit announced a bid for Connecticut's 22nd House District. Pettit was elected, elected ousting 11-term Democratic Representative Betty Busco. Uh, Buscus. I'm not sure what I'm saying that right. <laughs> Something. <laughs> serves as a red, uh, serves as representative in Connecticut House of Representatives. Wow. Pettit, Pettit condemned the state's decision to abolish the death penalty. So he 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 was for the death penalty. Yeah, I could imagine. Taking, yeah. But like, like I said, it, it, I know it was very contested when that happened, and then they commuted it to life. Like I said, they, they, still, wanted to, they still wanted to put these two to death. 
Yeah. They, they were willing to, like, you know, give these guys uh, grandfathered in. Uh, saying he believed the court had overstepped its powers and urging it to give greater consideration to the, quote, emotional impact, particularly on victims and their loved ones, end quote, that death penalty cases generate. Um, if anyone listening um, is interested, um, you can go to um, PettitFamilyFoundation.org if you'd like to donate any money or look into the foundation in any way. Yeah, I went online and looked at it a little bit. There's a lot of stuff on there. And there's pictures, too, of them, which fucking... I hate pictures because then it makes it so real. Like, when you read about it, it can be one thing it's in your imagination. And then when you look at a picture, it's like, oh, God, that was them. And then you go into... Well, I do. Then you go into how they died and how horrible. And, ugh, I hate... No. Yeah, it's one of those things like you listen to the true crimes and it's it's a story and then like you're like you get that curiosity like, well, what did they look like? And then you start uh-huh. diving in and you're like, Oh, why did I do this to myself? Yeah. Totally different subject though. I was listening <laughs> to a Joe Rogan podcast one day and the girl's voice, like it was just soothing to me. I was like, Oh, I love this voice. I wonder what she looks like fucking bad idea i hated her instantly i was like dude fuck you i don't like you (laughs) i didn't like her voice anymore i was like you can go fuck yourself i hate you wow (laughs) and it was it wasn't just based off her looks it was like the things that she was talking about too and the things that she had done in her life i yeah i wasn't okay with it but her, her voice is very lovely Oh, what was, there was a show that me and my daughter were watching. I think it was Hannibal. Show Hannibal? Yeah. And there was someone on there. He had such a soothing voice. Like, I would keep passing out. (laughs) My daughter would get so, that's what I was saying before. Like, she would throw stuff at me. Right. (laughs) And so then I'd be like, I can't sleep tonight. She'd go, why don't you put on Hannibal? (laughs) Do you know whose voice I find really soothing and it's kind of disturbing? Is Kylo Ren from... You know, I know. Yeah, I, know. I love his voice. Only with like the helmet and the distortion, like Adam Driver's voice is whatever. But yeah, I don't know what it is about that helmet. Like I just want him to tell me bedtime stories. <laughs> it's actually funny because I actually have a um, one of the Darth Vader helmets, like the full helmet that has the yeah. changer. <laughs> so me being me, I got out of the right. shower one time, decided put that on and walk around the house with it and my ex-wife's going don't get any ideas i'm like oh come on how funny would that be right you know? she was not into it she wasn't having it well i got my kid a kylo ren helmet with the voice changer on it and it was more for me than it was for him i'm not gonna lie oh absolutely i'm like talk to me <laughs> like oh. that was like the uh, chewbacca mask yes I was hunting around for one of those, like, so bad after that girl did that video. Yes, that was so amazing. I, I know, like, people go, like, oh, it's, you know, I'm so sick of it. I'm like, I don't know. Her laugh was so infectious. I loved it. I know. She was hilarious. She was so cute. Well, anyway, that anyway. ends our fuckery most foul for this week. And it was definitely fuckery most foul. It was. God damn it. Fuckers.
I hate them. And they're still alive from as far as everything you read, so they're still hanging in. Well, good. I hope they're fucking miserable. I hope there's no pillows. I hope there's no commissary. I hope there's no windows. I hope they don't get to go outside. Those were all the things that I thought about when Dave went in. I'm like, oh my god. Like, I had a panic attack for him. No windows? There are no windows. Are there ceiling fans? Are there gonna be ceiling fans? <laughs> like, I started freaking the fuck out. I'm not even the one in there. Yeah, nope. I couldn't do it. <laughs> nope. I'm just gonna go ahead and continue to be a good person because I cannot do that shit. No. I'm, I'm being as best as I can. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> I'll try to be I'll go, good. I'll go, with, I'll go with that for today. Yeah, we'll do that. Because I don't want to go in there with no windows. I don't like it. If my blinds no, are sir. closed. Didn't like it. Mm -mm. Go find us on social media. We have the Color Me Dead podcast group. We have the Color Me Dead podcast page. We have, we have so many other pages, too. We have... Color Me Still Here. We have uh, the Keto Motivation, the CMD Keto Motivation. We have the, the CMD book club. book club. Yes, and I think that's all of our side groups at this moment. There will be more coming. Stay tuned. Oh, um, dear. Yeah. Uh, we have Instagram, which is Color Me Dead Podcast, and we have Twitter, which I really, really suck at trying to keep up on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to like find a Twitter person to help me with Twitter because I don't tweet, I don't, I don't twit. <laughs> but yeah, you can find me on Instagram at gory underscore Nikki. So, with that being said, how about? Don't be a slimy, robbing piece of shit. And stay out of chalk lines. Chalk lines. Goodbye. Bye.